The views expressed here do not reflect the views of our respective employers. This September 2021, an all-civilian crew will orbit the Earth aboard a SpaceX Dragon capsule. Billionaire entrepreneur Jarek Isaacman and three quote-unquote regular people, Haley Arcano, Siam Proctor, and Chris Zambrowski, will make history in a number of ways on this flight, and a quasi-real-time docu-series on Netflix is sharing their experience. On this episode, we have a casual conversation about the inspiration for Mission, its place in history, and uh, our reactions and responses to the Netflix special, the context among current events, and the billionaire space race. We recorded this episode on September 12th, 2021, after watching episodes one and two of the Netflix series Countdown, Inspiration for Mission to Space. I'm Phil, and I sat down with my co-hosts TJ and Ferris as we react to history in the making. You can join the conversation yourself. We'd love to hear from you over Twitter at SpexCast or by email at SpexCast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. There was a, a Reddit comment where it's like, you know, talking about the 1%, there's enough billionaires out there for, there are billionaires for random reasons. Like Jared Isaacsman runs the shift for payments platform that if you can get a certain percentage of those people who are interested in space to spend that money on space, then you can have, you know, a, a small but active customer base. You know, everyone thinks billionaires, they think, you know, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk, but uh, you know, there's several hundred of them at least across uh, different industries. Just looking at his background, Jared does seem to have some, some, uh, he had a world record flight um, in a light jet, made the flight in 61 hours, a Cessna CJ2. So he has some daring activities. Yeah, and uh, for air show, fundraise. like formation flying and stuff. Yeah, like, and that, that attempt was in an. Uh, the goal of it was to fundraise for Make a Wish Foundation. So, I wonder, is this personal for him? Is this, what's the connection, or why why did he choose? Um, uh, I have a I have a theory. I have no no inside information or proof, rather, like, of this. But I think, according to the show he it just came up in conversation that he could be one of the crewmates aboard uh an all civilian crew on dragon because having an all civilian crew is something that spacex had probably had in the works for a while ever since you know demo one and demo two um well i think the yeah so it probably came up where they were talking about, he's a billionaire, right? What, why would he talk to SpaceX? Probably about some investment, right? Um, you got Dear Moon and stuff that's a private investor doing something cool for themselves involved with SpaceX. 
And I wonder if um, in the show he just says, oh, it was an offhanded comment that if you need astronauts, let me know. And then um, so I think they were talking about some sort of different kind of investment. Uh, Phil, have you seen the clip on uh, the Axios podcast? No, I haven't. So, so the Inspiration Four Cruiseman on that podcast is like a couple episodes, but there's a clip that talks about that, um, that like origin of the mission. And it's basically he was calling SpaceX because he had she had just IPO'd, like she had just IPO'd, so he had become a billionaire. And so he goes to SpaceX and is like, "Hey, like I want to invest in you." And they're like, "Great, we just closed a funding round, so it's not going to be for a while. You have to." you know, kind of get in line. And he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you guys are, are selling missions, like, I'd love, to, I'd love to go into space. And they're like, well, like, we actually have a person at SpaceX that, that does that. And they transferred him uh, to that department. And, like, within two weeks, they had an like, in-person meeting, and they started, like, specking out what this uh, mission would look like. Yeah. Okay, I, I was on the right track. Um, Will this be the first all-civilian mission? Yeah, they won't be so, the first civilians to go into space, but it would be the first mission with only civilians, right? So it's complicated, right? Because the definition civilian, like when we think about civilians, we think about like non-military, right? And so yeah. like a lot of early astronauts were military pilots, right? Air Force, right. Navy, etc. But, you know, famously, Neil Armstrong was a civilian, right? The first person to step on the moon was a civilian, but he was, you know, in the military. He was no longer officially in the military when he went to NASA, but he was still part of NASA, which is a civilian agency. So, right, every NASA astronaut uh, that isn't in the military is a civilian that we call you know, civilian space programs, civilian space agency. Yeah. But, you know, they've been working on the, the branding for this in like the all first all civilian flights, what they've kind of landed on. And it, it also comes down to like what it means to be an astronaut, right? Like the term astronaut is fundamentally someone who goes into space and we had the same discussion with uh, Richard Branson and, and Jeff Bezos when they're going up to the, the Kármán line, to the edge of space. Like, are those people astronauts, right? Technically, the, by the definition of the term, yes, right? There's someone who's traveled with space. But culturally, there's so much, um, you know, connotation built into that word that they're a highly trained professional, the best of the best, physically, you know, pristine very technical usually a pilot and so we're in this process of like redefining what it means what the word astronaut means and then also what it means to be an astronaut which is really interesting yeah, yeah. and uh up until inspiration four that's been like yeah you, there's two categories right there's or three categories military test pilot someone like the the good old boys right the i forget what the the name for them is the the highly trained military test pilots and the right stuff extreme the right stuff the, the people, people the guys people that have the, the right, right stuff. stuff 
and guys is important there. Uh, you know, highly trained white men going to space. And then in the shuttle era, it became highly trained people from diff different backgrounds, uh, women, people of color, people that, you know, were purely scientists um, going into space. And now it's kind of, that, that's the category two, category three recently has been people that can afford to go to space, people with enough means already to be able to buy a seat. And that's true for Bezos. It's true for Branson. They're, you know, they have companies on that based on that premise. Hey, you can pay for a seat, right? And then even Dear Moon, uh, SpaceX mission to the moon is funded by another billionaire. And so inspiration for it, is it different? Yes. But, and I'll get to that in a second. First of all, no, because of Isaacman. He is a billionaire. He's just paying for other people. And I think what sets Inspiration4 apart, and I, I think there's a lot to unpack here, is I, watching the show on Netflix, felt that these were three, like a billionaire, and then three normal people. Normal people, mm -hmm. normal people right? The, not just, like, they're not normal, right? Maybe, except for the, maybe the one guy, <laughs> the one normal guy. There's, uh, Haley Arcano is like, not normal because she has lived an extraordinary circumstance, right? She's uh, survived cancer and, and gone on to work at the hospital where she was treated at. Like, great. Uh, cancer as a child, no less, right? Not a normal experience, but still normal. Like, normal person, not something somebody related to space, not somebody with the means to just buy a seat and go there for fun. And then Siam Proctor, who is an extraordinary person as well with a lot of training and um, experience as a geologist. And as she just got into the astronaut program for the shuttle, right? Um, and then uh, ultimately wasn't chosen for a mission. So like an extraordinary she was an person. Candidate. So she candidate. didn't Thank you. officially become an astronaut like on the roster, but like got down to the the final cutoff, the final round, right? So she, so like, just to fill out the application to be an astronaut is a a, a long list, and to get that far is incredibly uh, incredible accomplishment, extraordinary, right? So and so those two people, they're extraordinary, just, but like felt like normal people when I was watching the show, and I think that kind of sets them apart. Interesting to note that she's also the first person with a prosthetic. On a space mission, normally that would not allow you to qualify as an astronaut candidate. Uh, Haley well, she she yes. does it. Haley Arsenal does. Haley, yes, Haley Arsenal. Yeah. 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 So, so these people, and um, I mean, I have a lot to say about this crew, but on this topic, I think inspiration for is set apart because these people, and especially as portrayed by the Netflix special. <laughs> These people are, I relate to them as normal people. I can't relate to anybody on, on Virgin Galactic flights. I can't relate to anybody, not even close, on the, um, the one crewed Blue Origin pa uh, passenger flight. And I can't relate to any of the astronauts. They can be heroes. They can be, you know, I can, they can be people to be looked up to, but they're not people that are normal. 
Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the funding for this mission because I think that it's it's really important about how this mission was paid for and why it had to be paid for in that manner and how did that relate to other private space flight that we've seen. Okay. So, Phil, as you mentioned, Inspiration4, the mission cost was paid for by Jarek Isaacman, billionaire, yeah. his company, IPO'd. Um, but there's also the training aspects and this media production, right? We're watching a Netflix documentary. They've had you know, the documentary crew following them during this journey. They've had John Krauss, the space photographer, be the dedicated Inspiration4 photographer for this mission for, for months um they've gone on you know zero g flights they've flown fighter jets they've gone on like long duration like winter exposure missions they've they've actually gone into the crew dragon capsule and spent like 30 hours doing like a mock run so they've done all this training uh Mm -hmm. before they finally go into space and all that's been paid for as as part of the mission and the ancillary aspect paid for by jared eisman you know he's got his fancy private jet with like the custom all black logo and they're yeah. flying across the country and all that. Um, which is great. And we, we think about like, okay, like, you know, you have to be a billionaire to, to do something like this. But yeah. if we think about, you know, five years ago, like 2015, 2016, no amount of money could have let this experience happen. The capability was not there. There was yeah. no, crude vehicle that could take four people into space soyuz was flying with three but soyuz is a different kind of of vehicle right much smaller much more cramped you have to learn russian like it's a a different you have to acknowledge the shuttle you have to acknowledge the shuttle previous previous to 2011 because you have to acknowledge that we, I want to yes, talk about the shuttle there's later. A, there's fundamentally a period from 2011 to 2019 where you could yeah. not go to space unless you were on yeah. Soyuz, right? Right. And so five years ago, this mission is, is not possible. And when we talk about like returning, you know, American astronauts on American ro- rockets from American soil, um, you know, that catchphrase, the capability and the reason why that we have that capability is because of this commercial crew model, right? NASA put money up uh, for development for SpaceX to build Crew Dragon. But the way that those contracts are made, SpaceX owns the right and like they are own the spacecraft and they own the capability and they sell the service to NASA. And what right. that allows SpaceX to do is to sell that same service to other people, including right. is, private citizens. Which is the idea is, all along, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the nice thing about this is that, you know, rather than NASA saying, okay, we have, you know, one of our objectives would be to, to send more civilians into space. How do we fit that into our government budget? How do we prioritize sending civilians versus scientists, astronauts? They have private individuals and private uh, funding paying for civilians to go into space. And so in effect, it's opened up the, the pool of money 
for crude spaceflight. There's now more money being spent and more op opportunities for people to go into space because of the way this contract was structured and the, the way the capability was built. So there, there is more access, there's more opportunity, um, and that is something we didn't have uh, during the, the shuttle era. I'm curious, in terms of cost, so there, were, there, was, there was previous capability with Soyuz and the first private, um, first private citizen to make it to space, um, or the ISS, went there on a Soyuz. How, how are things different now, at least in terms of cost? Is it now more affordable? Are we still at that same benchmark of the Soyuz? Are you guys familiar with the cost? I, I'm asking because well, we don't have actual numbers, but the the difference it's important to understand. It's it's about two orders of magnitude more to go into orbit than to go with Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin up up to space, right? And so that jump in cost, right from a million dollars to a hundred plus million dollars is a huge barrier that, that cuts out a lot of people and a lot of volume, right? Conceivably, Virgin Galactic could be flying, you know, dozens of people a year. SpaceX probably won't ever fly dozens of people um, into orbit every year. Not yet. It'd be great if they did. It'd be great if they did, but probably not on this, uh, this system. We need a starship with a with the hundred person configuration. Is what we need. <laughs> Hopefully someday. Yeah. Hopefully someday. And, yeah. and so that cost jump is just the the cost jump is what really sets like you know the market and how many people can can go on something like this. There's also the aspect of training, right? With Inspiration Four, they've been doing this long training campaign that. The training is expensive in the equipment they're using, right? But also their time. Like they've had to put their jobs on hold uh, and spend months training for an, an activity, an event that's only going to last three days. Um, and if you fly on these suborbital vehicles, the training is much more condensed. Virgin Galactic has, you know, a spaceflight experience where you go to the spaceport and you go in the fancy hotel and you're in the lounge and, you know, you get a, you get a feel like an astronaut for like three days or a week, but, um, that's not months and months of training. And, and with Soyuz, um, you know, you're in Russia, you're doing months and months of training, learning Russian, learning how to press mm -hmm. the buttons as a backup crew member. Um, and so we're still in this like high touch kind of environment. If you look at the actual like manifest, like each of the four has like a professional role to play during the mission, right? Haley Arson is the chief medical officer. Uh, I think Steinfrachter is the the lead scientist, and they're going to be doing some you know science experiments during the time. So they're still like they're assuming professional roles right they're, they're not career astronauts they're not you know mm -hmm. military government employees but they're assuming professional roles they're acting professionally on this it is not you know a thrill ride um for, for these four uh unlike uh you know blue origin and, and virgin galactic where it's it's more of a 
this experience was fun. I'm going to go do, I'm going to go have, you know, dinner after and, and, you know, have another fun experience next week. Yeah. And do you think I will that's... say, I reviewed, I checked some of my notes and some, some notes and it's, it's important to note that Soyuz seats, at least what NASA was paying for them, cost about 90 million per astronaut. SpaceX is at around 60. So that, you know, cost reduction can be substantial if you're flying multiple individuals. But ultimately still in that realm of, of how you need to have exceptional means, aka yeah. be a billionaire to afford this, at least for now. And that's, so training aside, I, I think the training and the cost are, are talk, topics we could talk about separately. Um, the cost alone is one thing that um, I know um, kind of rubs people the wrong way, right? For uh, it is ostensibly a joy ride through space. TJ, you said it kind of wasn't to the extent of, you know, riding on a new shepherd with blue origin where you just go up and go down and all you're doing is giggling about the zero G or, I mean, same thing with Virgin Galactic, right? The, the astronaut experience where you get to feel like an astronaut. Um, those are both joy rides as well, but like they're not doing anything in space uh, on Inspiration4. They're just kind of doing it. And so um, if it costs so much and it, it takes so much time, training, money, resources to do, um, you're not like Jared Isaacman isn't spending that money at St. Jude. <laughs> you know, he, he could. He has the money to spend and is willing to spend it. But in, he... Inspiration Four was part of a fundraiser for St. Jude, but most of the cost is going to SpaceX and this training. So, uh, you know, I I sympathize with the people that that feel like, hey, this you know, this billionaire is spending money for fun or to 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 become a legend or to make history with some people I instead suppose- of investing it in actual children's cancer research for one thing, you know? I mean, that is one way to look at it, but that is looking at the problem with a fixed um, amount of resources, right? If you say Jarek Eisman has, you know, $1 billion flat. I don't know exactly how much money he has. He has $1 billion flat. It's like, well, if he only has $1 billion and he wants to, you know, help ch- uh, children's cancer, then he should donate as much of that to, you know, St. Jude as possible. But it's not about one person's, like, finite resources. It's it's about engaging as many people in the process as, as possible, right? I think in the Netflix documentary... Mm-hmm. They talk about this, and Jared Eisman talks about this sometimes, is that he's done a whole list of, of thrill rides, right? He's done formation flying and jet flying and around the world flying and all this stuff. That's kind of his thing, right? Like, that's that's his hobby is these, you yeah. know, extreme piloting thing. 
But he makes a point of saying that, like, when I was doing those things, you know, it's kind of you know, a, fundamentally a bad look. I, I don't remember the exact terminology he used there, but I wanted, you know, to do that thing and, and get that attention, but put that attention towards a cause that I care about, which was, um, you know, children's cancer research. And so he's partnered with St. Jude multiple times to raise awareness about what St. Jude is, about, you know, the, the kind of work they do, but also to raise money. And so this is kind of a culmination of that. And so they set their fundraising goal, I think it's like $200 million, which I think is a good proxy of, of what this mission costs. So, you know, let's say that he's spending $200 million with SpaceX uh, to make this mission possible for the four of them. He's already donated $100 million to St. Jude to kind of kickstart it. And so the, the goal is to get enough awareness and fundraising from everyone else to participate to make up that, that second $100 million. And I think in the show, they talk about like the naming of the mission and, and you know, inspiration for it. It's like the fourth crewed flight of Crew Dragon. Uh, it's for inspiring people going to space, but it's inspiration for other people, right? Yeah. So it's like, how do I spend my money to inspire people and get more people aware and engaged um, in, you know, this St. Jude Children Research? And I think the Netflix documentary does uh, a really great job of this with with Haley, where it's like, you got to go like through her, her story, her experience um, and the work St. Jude was doing. And then you get to see her at the other end, you know, actually being working there as an employee and, and helping make a difference. Um, but the, the idea is that, you know, the problems that we as a society face, no single person can solve because, you know, they are, our group problems and some of them are very expensive that no one person has the resources to just solve that problem entirely. And so it's going to take people coming together and, and coming, um, and agreeing on a, a single approach and working towards that approach. And things like this help build that consensus and help build awareness. Um, the, the last part is like, you know, where are we wasting money on space? They're just going into space doing nothing. I think there's a, a, a two key points there. One, SpaceX, the Crew Dragon capability, it was partially paid for by every American, right, as, as part of a, a taxpayer-funded NASA program. So, you know, that is something that, you know, we paid, for, we help pay for, and you know, whenever they use it and American citizens get to use it, that's us kind of, you know, getting paid back in a sense. And two, uh, the higher utilization of Crew Dragon helps lower the cost for uh, NASA and for doing their missions, reusing the Crew Crew One capsule, reusing, you know, SpaceX boosters you know, utilizing the crew training facilities, all of that helps, um, you know, spread out the fixed costs over more actual missions, which makes the science missions more affordable um, and lets us do more of those. Um, so, you know, it really, we don't want to think about these capabilities as these like fragile, consumable, um, you know, limited like a limited resource, we want them to be something that is, you know, vibrant and continuing to grow and evolve, become more capable, becoming, you know, more self-sustaining. 
And this is just one aspect of that. I think this is a, a starting point, a stepping stone to more mm-hmm. regular private flights uh, rather than having NASA be the sole customer for these kinds of things and, you know, being 100% dependent on, on uh, public funding. So, you know, once we can make these things, you know, more common, more self-sufficient, that lets it <clears throat> grow into something even bigger. Yeah. Um, when, when you're going on that monologue, I have one comment and that's inspiration for is inspiration for other people with four people on the fourth crude flight, mm-hmm. but it's also shift for payments is Jared's company. So there's a oh, extra yeah. pun in there, but, um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, why is this, why does this matter? You're, the first half of your monologue, like the philo- philosophical part sounded like the uh, the marketing material that I consumed as a kid watching the space shuttle fly into space with more scientists and uh, more civilians. And, um, and I want to talk about this shuttle a little bit more, but specifically on on this point it's it's cool to see and the idea of like a reusable flight lowering the cost of space bringing more uh capability into space more people into space uh is very much the same language that people used to talk about the space shuttle for the longest time and then here we are now in 2021 where like the technology being used is different falcon 9 is very different from the space shuttle crew dragon it's not even close right um, it's still an evolution of that philosophy um, being carried on into the future on modern technology with, you know, modern business practices and, and it, like, the emotions are the same, but the approach and the, uh, you know, possibilities and the, let's face it, the, the efficacy are very different between the two. So yeah, I can't help thinking about the shuttle when we're talking about this stuff. Um, and I, I'm glad to be able to think about these things as an adult now and, uh, think back to what I was feeling as a kid. Um, and it hits different, but now I kind of understand a little bit better what, what the shuttle meant to the people that grew up with it and, and, watched it evolve over time and eventually retire. So I do want to talk about the shuttle for a bit because the Netflix documentary spends an inordinate amount of time on the space shuttle. Um, And if you don't have the context, it it might kind of seem a little strange, but the kind of the focus on this, the second episode is really on challenger um, and the Mm -hmm. destruction of challenger in, in that mission. And, for people who are born after that, that mission doesn't really have mm-hmm. an emotional impact, uh, as much of an emotional impact compared to, um, what was it, Discovery in 2003, because the that Columbia. was a, a Columbia, the Columbia, excuse Columbia. me, Columbia in 2003, because that was, you know, the space shuttle uh, incident that we personally experienced. But the the culture in America's um, mindset and feeling about the shuttle 
was heavily shaped by that one event. And so to kind of look back and understand that mission in a lot of ways is similar to Inspiration 4 um, in Mm -hmm. the, the way the public is expected to react to it. Um, in the sense that it was the uh, civil, it was NASA civilian to space program. It was the first flight of that. So, for mm-hmm. context, the space shuttle had been flying uh, a few times. It had gone from this experimental death trap to an operational death trap, and the public, like it does with space, gets bored. Right? The general public does not care about space. And so after the tenth flight, or clo- getting close to the tenth flight, the space shuttle is becoming routine. It's like, oh. It, you know, it rolls out, it takes off, it lands. Cool, we're bored of that. And so NASA uh, is trying to, to start to fulfill their promises for the shuttle, right? They've gone through the, the test evaluation phase and it's like, we have to start uh, fulfilling the promises we made, which is this is going to increase the access to space. So more people and more diverse people have access to space. We want it to be rapidly reusable in the sense that um, the flight rate increases. We want to fly multiple times per year. We want to have a faster turnaround between flights. And so NASA has this pressure to, to start proving itself, proving its system. And all that culminates in this 10th flight um, with Challenger. And so as part of the Civilian for Space program, NASA makes a call out to the entire, to the entire country. And it's, it's very similar to like the inspiration for like, mm-hmm. you know, lottery. It's like, you know, anyone has the potential to do this, prove their worth, you know, make a, a, a submission and, and Kristen McAuliffe be, is selected and goes through all the, the NASA astronaut training. And as part of the public outreach, NASA works with as many public schools as possible. It's like, Hey, like this is, you know, someone just like you, it's like one of your teachers going to space. Like let's learn about space, learn about the space shuttle, make sure your, your classroom TVs are turned on to watch this yeah. launch that morning. Yeah. And so, on one hand, you have a general public that's like getting bored of the shuttle. But on the other hand, you have an entire generation of school kids. Like this is like the first time, like all of the adults are talking about the shuttle, especially in school. And then you have this, you know, national trauma where every little kid watches seven people explode on TV, right? From first graders to high schoolers, everyone is watching that. And for a lot of people, that, like that is like the one of the most or the most traumatic space experience that they have. Yeah, uh, is that mission? Yeah, who wants to be an and, astronaut if the, for your first exposure to it is is the you know Challenger loss of mission two minutes into the flight? You, know, you watch it go up and explode, and that's what that's basically a metaphor for <laughs> some people. Well, there, there's that an moment of F1, trauma, right? right? that shared moment of trauma and the Netflix documentary like shows footage from the ground of that day of the people who were there as well as, as Kristen McCall's parents. And there's, there was a Twitter thread. There's like, why did they have to show the parents, you know, being, you know, traumatized? Like why, why did they use that footage? It's like, well, first off, like it's part of history. Um, You know, they've, they've both passed away. We're not dragging up those memories for them. Um, but it's also like, you know, you are connecting with those, those people on a, on a yeah. deep level, right? You mm-hmm. know, the crew for inspiration four, they have family, their family's going to be there. Then they're yeah. going to be thinking of, you know, what if the, the worst happens? 
Um, but there's the, there's the moment of tragedy, but that's also the turning point of which all the promises of the shuttle end, right? Everything NASA said the shuttle could do was proven not to be possible at that point, yeah. right? It's not yeah. safe. It's not reliable. It's not fast turnaround. It's not North going North to North let North. the common person go. And that yeah. really, um, you know, sets the direction for NASA for the next 30 years of what yeah. NASA and crewed spaceflight is. It is low Earth orbit, you know, scientists going to the space station, minimize risk, try not to, re to do this. And so all the potential of, of the shuttle and NASA ended at that mission. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, like, it is a really big, you know, historical uh, 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 turning point. Uh, and so, in, you know, the comparisons to Inspiration4, it's like, well, there is a lot of risk in doing this, right? There's yeah. the inherent risk of space travel and there's huge potential benefits, but there's also, you know, a huge potential risk if something goes wrong on this flight yeah. versus those astronauts. You know, NASA astronauts implicitly and explicitly accept that risk. And you can say that, that these civilians have explicitly accepted that risk, but an argument is that, well, they might, they are not as highly trained as, as NASA astronauts. They not, might not understand the risk that they're accepting, right? Yeah. A NASA astronaut is a highly trained scientist and engineer. They, they regularly participate as some of the leading engineers in NASA's space program. They understand what the vehicles can do, why they're built the way they are. They fully or fully understand the risk. These people, there's no, no possible way, no amount of training uh, that, that they could be in the same position to make the same informed decision on that risk. So they're putting a lot of trust in the engineers at SpaceX to keep them safe. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this um, because this is, this is discussed in episode two where um, some more of the uh, crew is introduced, but mostly they talk about the crew and their families uh, coming to terms with that risk. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the crew witnesses crew, the crew two mission and watching astronauts go to the space station. They go on top of the launch tower and stuff. And you, you can really see on camera the gravity of it and the, the risk and everything come together in these people's hearts and minds as, as it happens. And it's very powerful. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, why would, why would you show this? Like, okay. Cause it makes great TV. Well, okay. Challenger, you're right. Is so similar to this mission in the lead up where, We've got a Netflix documentary. We've got like, we're trying to get public support with the, the civilians and stuff going on board. Um, and I was thinking, okay, if it were me and that I, I know that trauma as a marketing person, like why, why choose to bring that up? And instead of do something where like, you know, Virgin Galactic didn't want to talk about the history of their program at all. Like, why would you, why would you bring it up? And I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I realized I think it's because twofold. One, it is history. We have to acknowledge the similarities here, acknowledge the risks involved and kind of prepare ourselves. 
And the other one, the other side of that is that I think we have to prepare ourselves because that's a possibility. And SpaceX is doing everything they can to make that possibility as small as possible, but it's still real. And we have to think about like that loss, that risk, and be prepared in case an accident does happen. You know, I think it it is helpful to witness Challenger, the Challenger accident, witness what happened and how those people got through that in order to prepare ourselves for what is uh, to come with this launch. And um, like I, like you said, in 2003, I was nine when Columbia, um, like Columbia disaster happened. And ironically, that's kind of like the first real memory I have about space flight. And then after that, I was kind of became a space nerd, um, which is kind of morbid and ironic, not because of the Columbia tragedy anyway. It was, I still watch it and I have like that pit in my stomach, the same, like we're recording this on September 12th, September 11th was yesterday, um, 20 years on. And it's, I think, I know people that, that watched the Challenger disaster and I know I didn't, right? And I know kids these days shaking my fist uh, <laughs> were born born after September 11th 2001 and so when they go through the airport you know they don't it it, it you know they, they know the history they understand you know conceptually understand the history and why it was important but they don't feel the same things that I feel when I watch and, and read these retrospectives on September 11 2001. And I think it's sort of similar. Um, and I really, I like, I appreciate the Netflix documentary giving context in that regard so that when, you know, I recognize these similarities, I can have a more well-rounded understanding of, of what happened in, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad it I'm glad they talked about this and the I think they should show it um because it does kind of prepare us for for the risk that that's involved. I also add in terms of the space shuttle, I think for the mission itself too, acknowledging the risk and reminding viewers and people of the risk makes the mission more interesting, inspiring. There are stakes. Mm -hmm. You know, if this was like a walk across the park or a trek, it, it just wouldn't be interesting, right? It's just like, oh, it's just some people doing a normal thing. I think by definition, seeing people go f far, taking on risks and going far metaphorically and literally is, is, is inspiring, right? Especially if there are people that you can relate to. And I think from a viewer's perspective, from, I guess, if I was trying to get engagement from viewers, I think reminding them why, why you, they, you can't take space for granted 
and why this is not a normal thing, why it is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Is, Do you is, fall into the category of people inspired by that? I I would say so. I, I think, you know, why why is landing on the moon inspiring? Why is climbing a mountain inspiring? Because it's an individual going far, taking on a risk, accomplishing something that is, is difficult, is potentially impossible. And kind of through that, expanding your ideas of what is possible. I, you know, for, for millennia, the moon was something that, that's mythical, that is in the sky, literally a part of, as in, in separate from humanity. And we have literally reached it and, you know, set foot upon it. So I, I think that idea of going far, going somewhere where where you wouldn't imagine a person, a normal person especially, going and taking on that risk is in you know, it is an inspiring idea. And that's the flip side of, of risk. Yeah, I think with this mission specifically there is some implicit risk in space flight, but we're seeing that they're not being as conservative as they possibly could be. Um, what do you mean? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing stopping them from flying, you know, after crew six, right after all of NASA's currently mm-hmm. scheduled missions, there's nothing stopping them from doing the exact same fl- flight profile um, as the, the prior crewed missions. They could have gone to the ISS and, and docked and had ISS as a, a lifeboat, uh, as a, a backup option. They could have chosen an orbit that could have let them get to the ISS if something went wrong. But instead, they decided to go higher and, and literally farther than any uh, crew has gone since the 90s with the Hubble servicing missions to you know, metaphorically reset the bar and, and push people forward, right? They don't want this to be the, you know, the same thing NASA has done, leading in their footsteps, minimizing risks. It's metaphorically pushing, you know, humanity in space f- forward farther than before. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't a moon landing. This isn't a-, a Mars landing or anything like that. But it's this sense that we're making forward progress. We're doing things that, you know, not that we've never done before, but we're, we're relearning how to do the things to, to get us farther from earth. Right. And I think that's a really important thing is that we've had this great capability and we've demonstrated that capability and we've lost that. And rather than continue to regress, we're pushing forward. And that's really what commercial crew uh, is is all about. It's regaining the capability that we we threw away, uh, mm-hmm. and this mission continues to push us forward. And you know, when we go into 2022 uh, with the Axiom uh, commercial missions, we're going to start seeing more and more non-government astronauts go into orbit, and people are going to start to get used to that and comfortable with that. And I think it's it's good that the first mission pushed uh, further and farther with that. And I think SpaceX uh, also kind of views it like that in the sense that, you know, they built this custom uh, viewing dome for this mission. 
Um, and now that they've built that, they're, they're probably going to keep that around um, for any other future mission that wants to use that. So they're building these new capabilities to attract new customers, hopefully going forward. And yeah. so uh, we will, I think everyone hopes that this mission is a stepping stone towards bigger and better things. Um, and rather than a, a negative, uh, a, a negative turning point with a, a negative sure. outcome. So for sure, I'm hoping for a gray dragon version of like, what, what if the next inspiration mission is a flyby of the moon with that, that cupola module, um, would, it, would that theoretically be <laughs> the starship flight to the moon? I mean, as if it's already in, uh, yeah, on I mean, schedule. dear moon, dear moon dear is planning moon. to do that, but uh, a dragon can probably get there before a starship is done. Um, one thing you you I picked up on TJ is that you mentioned it pushes us farther. Uh, you kind of included yourself in the group of people moving forward because of this mission, and um, that you know one thing that this Netflix special it's you know being recorded and referencing recent events, things that happened like less than a month ago, and also. Um, is released in near real time, like quasi real time um, at like, as it happens, the launch hasn't happened yet. And we've already seen two episodes and we're going to see two more in a, in a coming, the coming days before the flight. And I was thinking about like, okay, how is this different from a retrospective? Like what if they didn't release it until after the mission? And then we saw, I saw all the episodes it would hit different, right? watching it in the moment and waiting, you know, like watching the crew prepare for the flight when the flight hasn't happened yet. And then when I'm watching, I understand their journey and, and everything as they go up it as a viewer, not just a space fan, but as just like a person, I feel like I'm being brought along for the ride. Like I feel part of it. I feel like, it's not, I don't feel like I'm looking on so much as I am, you know, showing up to watch my friend play in a soccer game instead of watching a soccer game happen in another country somewhere on TV, right? It, it's hitting different for me. Um, and it's living up to its name, inspiration, uh, because I do f want to talk about it in the include myself in that us when we talk about pushing us forward and uh, doing new things. I have a question that may be interesting. Are you, are you guys mm -hmm. inspired by this? Are, yes. you, are you personally inspired? Tell me why, what inspires and it, you And it's it? not just because of the Alanis Morissette song at the end of episode two that got me hyped. <laughs> uh, I'm inspired because I, like, I, I never, when I was a kid, I know this shuttle did bring up scientists and, and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there for the hype before Challenger with Krista McAuliffe um, connecting with school kids, right? I didn't, I was kind of separated from the shuttle and, and then there was nothing else for me to, no, nobody else that really resonated with me going into space except maybe like Chris Hadfield, but that's more of like a person to look up to, not someone to relate to for me. 
And so I'm inspired by this flight because, uh, at least as shown by the Netflix documentary, these regular people like, like Chris and, and Cyan, um, feel to me like, you know, they feel like regular people. They feel like people I can relate to. And hopefully, um, I, I see them as people that can, that other people can relate to as well, coming from different backgrounds and, um, you know, two men, two women, uh, person of color, like hopefully like it inspires me to see that like, okay, we're this, this is something that makes me want to go into space. And if I saw this when I was younger, this would inspire me to be an astronaut. And so, um, I'm hyped. I'm very hyped. Uh, I, it makes me even more excited for Jeremy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the amazing. Netflix documentary does a great job of humanizing the people on this mission. Um, you gotta really get to know these people, their their motivations, their backgrounds. They also do a really good job of of kind of invading their private lives, which is yeah. both good and bad in the sense that we you know see some of their FaceTimes and their Zooms, and yeah. those are like experiences that we all have. And it's like, oh, like, you know, what if I'm FaceTiming my friends telling them I'm going to space? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Um, so I think the humanization factor is huge. Uh, and I think it builds a, a emotional vested interest uh, in the viewers when the, the mission actually takes off. And the, the counter um, point here is the billionaire space race that happened a couple months ago, where... Richard Branson is this outsized personality, right? He's a billionaire, but he's this, you know, eccentric adventurer, billionaire, always doing stunts. Then you have Jeff Bezos, who is just this cold, unlikable person. (laughs) And, you know, there's a a famous tweet around in space Twitter called, is this the best day in Blue Origins uh, PR comms history? Um, and that day was when they announced Wally Funk um, as one of the passengers mm-hmm. on Blue Origin's flight. And, and that person had this like long history and legacy um, as, as someone who, you know, if, if things had just, you know, been different, could have been an astronaut back in the, you know, golden age of spaceflight, the first golden age of spaceflight, hopefully. Um, and then this was, you know, her getting the chance to go to space and you know i'm I'm sure she had a a fun time doing that but she didn't really you know achieve her dream right she wanted to be an astronaut and explorer uh you know uh, a maverick uh you know going and and pushing things beyond and uh you know a a 10 minute hop on a phallic rocket (laughs) <laughs> is not uh, not what people would consider you know the highlight of their you know space career I would think, but and the the other passengers you know Jeff Bezos's brother that no one's ever seen before a random trust fund kid from Europe who like didn't actually pay yeah. for the flight and the the original person who bid also didn't go they had for a some scheduling reason. conflict they had a schedule yeah. the, the I most would privileged. love to know I would love to know what scheduling conflict. <laughs> Yeah, Trump's going to space. When go, when space? when going above the Carmen line is is a drop in the bucket. Oh, 
Buckley, you take my seat. Go ahead for me. Yeah. When it's when it's that meaningless to you, even if it you was know free, you're rich. What I cannot think of another activity on earth. <laughs> then you clearly haven't had the privilege that man has had. <laughs> Maybe I am missing out on something that is yeah. better so than going the, to space. Like those two missions, and on the Virgin Galactic side, like. You know, Richard Branson was was running the show, and Richard Branson was you know hit the camera was on him, and he was doing his speech during the the flight, and the rest of those people on those crew, right? They're like there's some very talented people who work for Virgin Galactic, um, and but some of them had already flown before into space, um, and the other people, right? They didn't get the the chance. Like we didn't really get to know them intimately. I think in, in Virgin Galactic's coverage, right? It was the excitement of the, like it was a sales pitch. It's the excitement of the experience and the race to beat someone else uh, versus the like individual people getting to go. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, the ticket sales from, from Blue Origin went to Blue Origin's own charity. The Blue Origin gets to spend however they want to spend. Which you know, I I think is uh, kind of a lazy way to run a charity and give to charity versus you know an established third party. So I think from a, a PR perspective, Inspiration Four is doing great. Keep in mind, keep in mind that Inspiration Four started on an extremely rough like intro. They they did the Super Bowl commercial, which in my opinion oh, we was didn't one even of talk the about worst the Super, Super Bowl commercials commercial. I've ever seen completely terrible and so i'm very happy that the whoever filmed and produced the super bowl commercial did not film and produce this documentary because the 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 level of quality and content and showing the value um um and and highlights the mission is just completely different like that commercial i was left like what is going on like is this a video game is this a movie like yeah. And I knew ahead of the time what it was. I'm just like, this makes no sense. Yeah. So I'm very happy to see that their marketing and messaging has improved uh, over the last year. But that super commercial was rough. Um, Ferris, are you inspired? Am I inspired? I yeah. Hell yes, I would say so. I'm excited. I have, And I would say, surprisingly... I feel like I haven't been this excited for a space thing in a while. Like, like at least to this level. It has become mm-hmm. a bit routine. Yeah. Even crew, right? Even crew. Which is a really good milestone to be at. I personally wasn't as excited about the suborbital flights just because mm-hmm. knowing the difference between suborbital and orbital. I, you know, uh, th- those flights don't inspire me because <coughs> they're not as big of a stepping stone to actually getting to space. They're exciting. They're cool. And as long as they, you know, capture people's imagination, then they will contribute to making space accessible. But with Inspiration4, you know, number one, I love the mission. I love the 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 concept of let's try to represent the best of humanity. Like here are these values that we believe represent, 
you know, what, what people should aspire to be. Yeah. Leadership, generosity, hope. Um, prosperity. Prosperity, yes. Um, and and, and that, that to me is exciting. You know, something, inspiration for, for me falls in the category of like something that makes you excited about tomorrow. It is not, by definition, not a, an essential mission. It's not necessary. We don't have, we could, someone could just directly donate the funds. But I mean, here we are talking about it. And hopefully, I mean, we will truly know if it had the impact that it was planning on having after uh, we see we see the public engagement. Mm-hmm. And I do hope it achieves its goal, so we'll find out. But I'm personally excited. Yeah. On a side note, um, looking at the crew of Inspiration4, uh, Chris Sembrowski, uh, he's an aerospace engineer. And he's in the the Inspiration Force seat labeled Generosity, and it's an he interesting. Was selected from the raffle, but yeah, in that he, he was gifted the seat by someone else. Someone else oh. won the seat, and it was like, "Hey, I won this thing, but I know a, a guy who is an aerospace engineer who loves space, and I think he'll get the most out of it." And he was gifted that seat. So, you know, so it's like double generosity. Not only did the person who gave to the, yeah, the person who gave to the charity got selected and then gave the seat away. Uh, So they don't touch on that in the, in this Netflix special. That's really, I think that adds more to the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing I learned was that the fourth seat, uh, science seat was picked by a panel of judges. And one of the judges is Mark Rober of YouTube fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mark had a hand in picking. And he, he also, you know, has a lot of experience capturing the attention of a broad range of people getting millions of views on viral videos about science and engineering. So, uh, I hope yeah. I see this everywhere. We, we shall see. It is this week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll yeah, be it will be interesting launch. to see what kind of content comes out uh, in this week from other creators. Because like, there's the Netflix show, there's the live launch broadcasts. Um, but we'll see if whoever else has you know privileged access. Um, you know, whether it's you know science YouTubers, other reporters, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I hope that their their media department uh, would would make that move but they also made that super bowl commercial so who knows <laughs> the inter- other interesting thing is the so the mission is three days long that is quite a bit of time to get yeah. folks to hop on watch a, you know live streams or videos of what's happening and engage i think the other one of the challenges that i've personally felt with engaging with like any of the suborbital flights is you have you have to really be there on time because <laughs> you blink and you miss that small window of, mm-hmm. of whatever the suborbital flight is. And then the struggle too, is you need to wait until it launches. And then as we know, all know space launches get delayed all the time. And so you have to yeah. hang around for potentially, you know, 
if you're lucky, tens of minutes. If you're unlucky, hours or days to catch that flight, that, that launch. But the length of this mission, I think, will provide sufficient opportunity for individuals, for people to just... It's not just the launch, it's the three days of orbit that they we have to connect with these people and watch them in space and and uh, engage. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of coverage they put out because the Netflix show is supposed to have like a wrap up episode after they land. They'll they'll take the footage and and produce something like that. But there's going to be a launch live stream, you know. It's it's easy to say and to want, hey, like let's get twenty four seven footage from inside the cabin or out the window, kind of thing. But you know, we no longer live in the era of broadcast scheduled TV, right? Everyone is used to on demand, watch it whenever I want to watch it, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, potentially there's you know an opportunity for like a you know a daily update from the crew or. You know, some, something like that that people get to tune in and, and watch and experience. Because, um, you know, 72 hours worth of, of footage is, is a lot of content that very few people will watch the whole thing. But, uh, yeah. you know, inside tours or, or you know, Q&As or something like that, it'll be interesting to see if, if they make, you know, a concerted effort to, um, you know, produce content over those three days to get to keep people engaged definitely i imagine there seems to be you know there's two different kinds of engagement here you have the live stream things like twitch and you know youtube live and whatnot and then there's the curated higher production value kind of compressed format which is i mean that's i guess what we're getting through netflix and so it'll be interesting to see what kind of live engagement will exist for those missions yeah, I think the highly produced content uh, definitely has a role um, looking back on this mission and, and similar missions, right? You know, it's really hard to find the YouTube live stream, you know, video mm-hmm. link and like skip to the right time to, to you know, listen to, you know, the astronauts, etc. especially when it's, you know, a multi-hour stream. But when people take the time to record the footage and then edit it and, you know, post it on a, a service like Netflix that has global reach, uh, I think people, you know, who might miss it this week, that next week or six months from now, they'll be able to watch this series, um, which is not a huge time commitment, and get to experience um, the mission, even if they aren't able to watch it live. Um, you know, watching the, the 10 minute Virgin Galactic flight, uh, is not a huge amount of engaging content. And the more time that passes from the, the billionaire space race, the more context you lose, right? You, you lose the context of the closeness of the two flights and the announcements and the changing of the schedules and all that stuff that, you know, people who are paying attention felt over that like month long period. But with this Netflix show, you have, you know, fixed anchors of this is how it started this is their training this is the mission this is the result all um you know tied together so i think that context is going to be super valuable you know six yeah. months five years from now but tj I don't, I don't know i don't know if you've answered the question of, of, of whether you are personally um oh i'm lightly inspired Lightly inspired. Lightly inspired. I'm, okay. I'm way more inspired by, you know, Starship 
getting and James Webb Space Telescope. No, inspired by no. James Webb. No. James Webb Space Telescope is a constant reminder that we blow money on complete waste of time. Oh, sorry, Fire. sorry, sorry. Wrong vibe. <laughs> wrong vibe. Bad vibes. <laughs> <That> was... um, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. This is one of those things I we should. I, I definitely want to watch it live with you guys, whether or not we put it on on the internet. Um, yes. Oh my god, it's gonna be awesome. All right, I gotta go. All right. All right. Take care, Phil. Thanks for listening to this episode of SpexCast, a podcast about the science, technology of space exploration. Continue the conversation with us on Twitter at SpexCast or by email, SpexCast at gmail.com. Subscribe for future episodes of this podcast. I know or not, we haven't been as regular in terms of creating these podcasts as we used to, but we're still around and there's a lot going on in the space world lately. So be sure to subscribe. You can also check out our blog and our huge backlog of episodes, blog.specscast.com. Our music is by Nelson Scott. Inspiration for good luck at Astro.